I'd like to invite you to turn to the second, uh, to the eighth chapter of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, uh, chapters eight and nine, actually. And I would like to read to you what Paul has written about money, uh, not uh, making money. Uh, most of us get very alert when uh, we're told, when we're given some help in uh, acquiring more money. Paul here is talking about giving money. Now, I know some of you uh, visitors may be thinking, oh, uh, no, I can't believe it. I Years ago, I left uh, the church that I was attending because they were always lusting after my money. And now... Uh, I visit Cole Community Church, and uh, this fellow is going to start shaking us down again. Uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Paul has to say about the, uh, about the gift of giving. Let me tell you a little bit about the background of this, of this letter. Paul really cared about these folks in, in Corinth. He had started the church there. He went to Corinth, and he preached in a synagogue. Uh, people gathered from all over the city to hear the apostle teach. Uh, he was forced out of the synagogue. He went next door to the home of a man named Titius Crispus, who was a, a Gentile. And he began to teach uh, there for a while, and the church grew, and he eventually planted, uh, he left leaders behind, and, and he continued on with his missionary journeys. He was a church planter, primarily, and the church uh, continued to flourish. Paul stayed in touch with these folks because, as I say, he, he really did care about them. Wrote a number of letters to them, two of which uh, we've lost. Uh, there are two that are included in our New Testament. But there are two others that uh, we don't know anything about. They're no longer extant. He visited the church at least once after he planted it. Uh, a moral problem had developed within the, the church. There was uh, a man there who was involved sexually with his stepmother, and uh, Paul had addressed that particular issue because the church was tolerant of it. Paul said, we need to reclaim that life. We need to redeem that marriage. Let's move in on that, on that situation. And they had not uh, done so. And so uh, Paul had written what he calls in 2 Corinthians a letter that caused him a great deal of, of grief. It apparently was a very stern letter. Sent it by the hand of Titus to Corinth. And Paul was down in Ephesus at, at the time, and he, he got very anxious and upset. In fact, he describes himself as very depressed and anxious during this time, waiting to hear what this church would do. And uh, when he didn't hear, he uh, uh, hopped a bus to Troas and, and booked a ticket on a, a ship going across the Hellespont. But before he could leave, he ran into Titus on his way back from Corinth, and uh, Titus announced that... that they had taken care of that uh, terrible situation in Corinth, and, and uh, they wanted to hear more from Paul. And so he sat down uh, while he was up there in Macedonia, up in the northern part of modern-day Greece, and he penned this uh, letter to them, and he reminded them that a year before, 
he had uh, shared with them his concern for the Christians in Jerusalem and had asked them to take up a collection for these, uh, these people. The Christians in Jerusalem were in dire straits. They were mostly Jewish Christians, and they had been ostracized by their <coughs> Jewish neighbors, and their businesses were boycotted, and they'd, been, uh, they'd lost their jobs, and they were struggling financially, and Paul was concerned about them, and so he wants to encourage them to take up an offering for these, these believers. Uh, there's something about giving directly to people that really does touch the uh, wellspring of our motivation, I think. Uh, when there are people in need, we just love to meet that, that need. You may recall a few months back, uh, we shared a need that a family had here in the congregation. They had uh, heavy uh, medical, had a heavy medical debt and and uh, you folks gave nearly $10,000 to meet that need in, in one week. And it was just, I think, an indication of the generosity of, of the people here, their willingness to give to someone in, in dire need. And that was the situation there in, in Corinth, and Paul wanted to encourage these people to complete the collection that, that they had begun. Now, the keynote of, this, of these two chapters is this word, grace. Uh, you'll find it in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And then in, in verse 4, they urgently, uh, urgently pleaded with us for the grace. Literally, the NIV has privilege, but it's the grace of sharing in this service. And then in verse uh, 6, uh, Titus wanted you to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Uh, Verse 7, that you also may excel in this grace of giving. Verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 19, what uh, what is more, he, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us so as to carry the gift of grace. In chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And then finally in verse 14, because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. This, is, uh, this word is the foundation of, of all of Paul's teaching about, about giving. We give because uh, God has been uh, so gracious to us. As Jesus put it, freely you have received. Freely give. Uh, God has given you the the gift of forgiveness of sin. Uh, He set us free from the guilt of the past. God has given us power to deal with the habits and the sins that dominate us today. God has given us the gift of of eternal life. We're going to live together because of his sacrifice on the the cross. He's given some of you the gift of a restored marriage. Some of you he's delivered from a lifetime of immorality and, and crime and sin. God has richly bestowed good things uh, on you. Now, Paul says, freely freely give in response. That's always the motivation. If Jesus has done nothing for you, for goodness sake, don't give. Don't give. He doesn't want you to give. He doesn't want a cent of your money. What he wants you to do is to learn of his grace. See, that's what, that's what motivates every aspect of of the Christian life. Everything we do, every action, every ministry, every act of obedience is based upon what he has done for us. 
That's why we often say when uh, we pass the offering plate, God doesn't want your your money. If you're still a seeker, if you're still just here on the outside looking in, you want to know more about the Christian faith, and we pass that offering plate, don't, don't put any money in the offering plate. You yourself jump in. That's what God wants. just wants you. Uh, Paul puts it this way. Because of the uh, mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the fundamental motivation for everything we, we do. It's because God has given and given and given. Because God loves us so much, he gave his only begotten son. Uh, it's his love that motivates us and compels us to respond. Now, that's the backdrop of these two chapters, and I want you to, I want you to keep that in mind. He begins uh, by appealing to the Corinthians on the basis of the example of the Macedonians. Uh, if you can picture a map of Greece in your mind, you know that the southern part of Greece looks like a, the fingers of a hand. That's uh, called the Peloponnesus. That's the area that was called Achaia in New Testament times. Corinth was located down there. Above the hand is a region which, in, which is in modern-day Greece today. It was Macedonia back then. It was Alexander the Great's uh, empire. There are a number of churches up there that we're familiar with, the church in Philippi to which the letter to the Philippians was written. Uh, there's a church in Thessalonica. Uh, the books of First uh, and Second Thessalonians were written to that church. There was a church in Berea that we know about. These were the Macedonian churches. And Paul appeals to their example as uh, an incentive for the Corinthians to give. I know what he says, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not do as we had expected. In other words, they did not... uh, give according to their ability, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, first, the conditions out of which they gave. They were poverty-stricken. This was an area that had been exploited by the uh, Romans. They had stripped their forest bare. They had taken their mineral resources. It was an area that was recovering from civil war. You know what the civil war did to the southern states here in the United States left them impoverished for years. That's what had happened in Macedonia. Furthermore, they were experiencing persecution as well. They were losing their uh, tenured positions in the universities up there. They were being kicked out of their uh, schools. They were losing their jobs. They were struggling to make ends meet and keep the uh, wolf away from the door. And they, they could have raised the same same objections that you and I raised to giving, well, you know, we've got to put our kids through school and Roman Empire is taxing us excessively, and we really can't do much. But what Paul is saying is that everybody can do a little. See, it, it, what, what, what God wants us to understand, what the apostle underscores here, is that because God has given so much, we can at least give a little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot, but we can give a little bit. 
As a matter of fact, as I talk to my friends around the United States whose uh, ministries are supported by gifts, they tell me that 80 to 85 percent of the of the giving that they receive is uh, very small gifts, dollar, two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. We're not talking about large amounts. But uh, what Paul is saying is that, that everybody can, can give some. And uh, what's really important to Paul is the attitude with which they, they gave. They begged him for the privilege of giving. Uh, how different that is from uh, some of the television uh, preachers and evangelists who are always begging us to give. There's, there always seem to be perpetual crises and there are unprecedented opportunities to give and, and they spend hours and hours on, on, on the air begging us to give. Now some of these represent legitimate needs and we ought to be giving to those that are, that are doing the work of the Lord. But how different it was with the Macedonians. They didn't have to be begged. They begged for the opportunity to give. Now, the question that must have come to their mind is, uh, how much do we give and to whom do we give? That, that's always our, our question. Uh, the question of uh, how much is not specified in the New Testament. There's no finite standard given. No tithe. Uh, they, they were simply to ask God how much they were to give. That's what Paul means when he says they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us in, in keeping with God's will. You see, the, the real issue is not what I'm going to do with my money, what I'm going to do with my home, what I'm going to do with my vehicles or my recreation cabin or my equipment. The real issue is what does God want me to do with my house? What does God want me to do with my children? What does God want me to do with my leisure time? What does God want me to do with my financial assets? And since God is a living person that can be known and whose will can be known, we can go to him and say, Lord, where do you want me to give and how much do you want me to give? And he'll let you know. See, we don't have any right as a church to tell you you must give to this church. That's God's prerogative. We have no right to tell you how much you must give. We don't have any quotas. We don't have any tithe. That's God's responsibility. So he must let you know. Now that's where we begin. We we begin with the whole concept of grace and we begin with the fact that uh, God gives and he not only gives of himself and all good things, he also gives us his will. He will let you know. But, But the real issue is do we want God to control our finances and control our time and control our energy and our other resources. You see, that's the fundamental problem. And if we really understand uh, how much God loves us and how much he's given to us and how much he cares about us, then that begins to loosen up our, our, our own personal resources, whatever, whatever they are, so that we're willing to give. Now, he turns from, this, from the example of the uh, Macedonians to uh, his entreaty to the... Uh, Corinthians. We urged Titus, who was uh, Paul's envoy, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He's referring back to the request a year prior to this time when he asked them to give to the saints in Jerusalem. And he says, now you need to complete this act of grace. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, 
in complete earnestness, that is, in your vigorous activity and in your love for us. See that you excel in this grace of giving. This, uh, in contrast to the church in Macedonia, was a church that was uh, very wealthy. It was a very large church. And uh, they were not only rich in financial uh, assets, they were also rich in, in human resources. They had teachers and they had prophets and vigorous activity, a lot of ministry going on in the city of Corinth. And they, and they really loved each other and they, and, and they talked a lot about how much they cared for each other. And if you'd walked into that church in Corinth, you would have felt a great sense of warmth and and uh, people appreciating one another and caring for one another. And Paul, Paul is saying, in essence, if, if, you really, if you really love people, then you'll expend your resources for them. Money talks. Money says, I love you. I really care about you. And it's one thing to talk about love, but a lot of love is just that. It's, it's love talk. Uh, you need to put your money where your love is, he's saying. That's one way we can show that we really care about these uh, people over in, in uh, Jerusalem. Some of you have seen uh, Charlie Schultz's little book, The Gospel According to Peanuts, and one of my favorite segments shows uh, Snoopy uh, sitting at the door of the house, and he has a big pile of snow on his nose, and he had, has his uh, plate in his mouth. And uh, Charlie Brown opens the door, and he says in the words of James 2, to Snoopy, uh, go Snoopy and be warmed and filled. And then he slams the door in his face. And uh, of that's, that's the very thing that James is talking about. How can you say that the love of Christ dwells in you if, if you don't give people the practical, essential needs of, of life, feed them, and clothe them, and house them, and take care of them financially? See, that's, his, that's what he's saying. You folks are rich. You have so much going for you. Now share some of that wealth with those that are in need. Uh, you know, one of the privileges we have as a church, because uh, we, do, we are rich in resources here, is helping some of the smaller churches here in, in Boise and in some of the uh, rural backcountry communities. We want to share our people. We often tell people, you know, what are you doing here? You're well taught. Go someplace else where you can teach and disciple and help others. And we try to make our leadership and our volunteer people available to these other churches to, uh, to supply their pulpits so that some of these pastors can get away. And We try to uh, send gifts of money. During, during the Christmas season, we sent almost $2,000 uh, off to pastors in various parts of the state. Just Christmas gifts because these people are often marginal and financially, and they don't have any discretionary money. We just love to do that, but it's because God has enriched us in various ways, and, and we want to share that wealth with, uh, with others. Paul says, you're, you're rich. You have much. See that you excel in this grace of, of giving. He says, I'm not uh, commanding you. I'm not putting the arm on you. I'm not twisting your arm. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, that is, the Macedonians. And here's an even greater comparison. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. My father told me once of a conversation he overheard between Dr. Harry Ironside, and uh, 
a young man he was talking to who did not believe in the deity of Christ. He was familiar with the scriptures, but uh, uh, he, for one reason or another, denied the uh, full deity of, of our Lord. And Dr. Ironside read this verse to him. Though he, Jesus, was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And he said, tell me, sir, he said, uh, when was our Lord rich? And the young man had no answer for that question. Because when you think of the uh, earthly life of our Lord, he was desperately poor. He said at one point, uh, birds have nests. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And at one point, when he wanted to make an illustration from a coin, he was asked whether, you know, his, whether his disciples should pay tribute to Caesar or not. He fished around in his jeans trying to find a coin. He didn't even have a coin that he could use. He had to borrow uh, a coin in order to, to make his point. He's very poor, you see. When was he rich? Well, when he had ivory palaces when he had all the glory of the Father, uh, when he stood in the presence of angels, that's when he was rich. And he gave up all of that. He became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. You see what he's saying? He's saying, you folks in Corinth are very rich. Rather than uh, acquiring more, share what you have with those that uh, that are in need so that they can... They can uh, uh, have some of the benefits of, of your wealth. It's this old principle again. If you give yourself away, you find yourself. If you try to find yourself, you're going to lose yourself. It's a principle that's embedded in all of life. If you have money and you hoard it and you try to keep it for yourself, it just rusts and, and, and life begins to go sour. If you give it away, then it has meaning and it brings joy to yourself and, and to others. And so Paul says, you folks in Corinth, you have so much. Give your people away. Give the, your, your resources away. Give your money away see, to meet the, uh, the needs of others. Now, um, in the next section, uh, verses 10 through 15, the principle here is one of equality. Verse 12, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, and not according to what does, uh, one does not have. In other words, uh, again, there's no amount specified in, in Scripture that we have to give. No tithe, you see. It's according to what we have. Because God has prospered us. And uh, if you are in financial straits, uh, again, you, you don't, you're not expected to give a great deal. Perhaps you can only give a very small amount, but that's all right. In fact, you may be on the receiving end. I was in a church uh, in California years ago, spent 18 years there before I came up here. And one of the things we used to do on Sunday night, on uh, Sunday night we had a lot of street people that came in, and particularly in the 60s during the Jesus movement. There were a lot of uh, impoverished people that came. and uh, We used to pass the offering paid on Sunday night, and we'd tell people, if, you, if God has prospered you this week, give. If you're in need, take out of the offering plate. And we didn't try to monitor it, and we didn't... Uh, have some uh, big uh, usher standing ready to <laughs> strong-arm someone if they took too much. Uh, we just trusted the Lord you know, to guide people. And if it had been a bad week, they would take money out of the offering plate. And if it had been a good week, they'd put money in. And, you know, God consistently met the needs of that congregation. We always ended up the year in, 
in the black, see. And that's this principle of equality that Paul is referring to here. He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there'll be equality. As it is written in here, he goes back into the Old Testament, back to the book of Exodus, uh, to quote uh, a principle that, that held true when during Israel's uh, Death Valley days. He that gathered much did not have too much, and he that gathered little did not have too little. He's talking about uh, manna. Uh, people ran out of food. They had uh, had left uh, Egypt in haste, and they, they just didn't have enough to live on. And so God supplied this miraculous food from heaven. The first day it fell, someone looked at it and said, uh, what, what is it? In Hebrew is uh, manu. And that's the name it stuck. Manna, what is it? Uh, what is this stuff? And they, uh, they ate it for 38 years. It uh, supplied their needs. They were told to go out every day, and uh, they were told that, that one omer, which is about the size of a gallon uh, ice cream carton, of manna would feed one person for one day. And uh, apparently what happened, Paul sees something that's not uh, not obvious in the Exodus 16 passage. But here's what happened. Some people could gather a great deal because they had the capacity to do so. They might gather four or five omers. Someone else, perhaps a young mother who had to, uh, maybe a single mother, had to stay home and take care of her children, couldn't get out and gather manna. They had to go around and pick it up, pick it off of the bushes. And it was time-consuming to gather. It was small, real small. And... Uh, uh, Another person perhaps was infirm. They couldn't get out and gather. So when they, when they finished gathering, they distributed the, uh, the manna. Those that had gathered much shared what they had with others. And those that, that had little uh, had their uh, little buckets filled up so that everybody had enough to, to eat. That's the point. And uh, Paul is saying that's the way we ought to live life. If God has enriched us, then we need to look for those that are in need and, and share with them. Uh, share our our recreational equipment. Uh, find a, a family, a, perhaps a, a single mother and three or four children. Take them along with you on an outing on Saturday and share your snowmobiles. Give them a chance to, to get out and have some fun. See, they'd never be able to do that on their own. Or take them to your cabin, take them fishing, whatever. Share your time and your energy and and your, your money and your vehicles and, and what God has enriched you with in order to meet the needs of those that are, that are le- less fortunate. That's that principle of, of equality. But it's not something that's legislated. This is not socialism. This is something that's just done out of the heart. It's a desire to minister to others that are less fortunate than, uh, than we. That's the principle of equality. The verses that follow, 16 through the end of, uh, well, actually through 9... Uh, Five, establish another principle, the principle of accountability. Uh, Paul says, uh, I'm going to send Titus in verse uh, 16. And uh, there's another brother in verse uh, 18 who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. He's unnamed, some anonymous brother who was highly regarded, had a great deal of integrity, was above reproach. Verse 22, we're sending with him another brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and 
even more so because of his great confidence in you. So uh, uh, Titus and his uh, brother Daryl and his other brother Daryl were sent to, uh, <laughs> to ride shotgun on this uh, offering. Basically, that's what it was. It was to protect uh, those that were traveling, but it was also to provide accountability because notice what Paul says, verse 20. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in, in the eyes of men. Now, it's, it's foolishness of the worst sort to say, I don't care what people think. We have to care what people think as believers. Our first obligation is to God, to live out our lives under his purview and to please him. But uh, we also have to live our lives with integrity and honor and honesty before the world. You know, it's the, the, the lack of integrity on in the part of certain people uh, in churches and in, in ministries has shaken the whole, the whole world. People that uh, at the very time they were, uh, they were saying that their ministry was in deep distress, you know, they were buying Rolls Royces and, and Mercedes Benz and a half million dollar uh, Getaway uh, in uh, in Palm Springs because they, as they put it, needed to have time alone once in a while, and that money was being siphoned off. Or there's there's uh, an organization, the International Christian AIDS Organization, that gathered millions of dollars for people in Ethiopia, and not one cent ever made it to Ethiopia. All that money found its way into the pockets of the administrators of that of that fun. It's terrible that this is being done. And uh, it's, a, it's a blight on the church. Uh, we need to guard against anything. That's why, uh, as Steve said, our, our books are open. You, if you want to come in and look at our, uh, uh, our financials, you can at any time. They're published monthly for the elders and, and the books themselves. The more complete books are, are available to you and you can come in and and uh, see where that money is going, because it's very, very important to us that money be handled in, uh, with integrity and, and with honor. Now, uh, the final principle here is that of sowing and reaping. And what Paul is talking about here uh, uh, is the result of giving. It's threefold. There are three things that happen when we give generously. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's that old uh, uh, law of inevitable consequence that you see all the way through Scripture. We reap what we, we sow. It's true in the moral realm. It's true in the financial realm. It's true in the realm of the soul. We... Uh, we reap what we sow. He states the, the principle first, and then uh, he applies it, verse 7. Each man should give. Now, this is sowing. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. You see, this, this is a decision that, that's made in the light of day, not as a result of an emotional appeal. Uh, our response to someone who comes asking for our support should be, I, I want time to think about that, pray about that, talk that over with our family, and we will make a decision, and we will, we will let you know. And not give just because something or someone is plucking at our heartstrings, and uh, we feel sorry for them, or we feel sorry for the people that they're ministering to. We need to ask ourselves the hard questions. Is this a ministry that's, 
that's really producing glory to God and growth in the body of Christ? And are the funds being handled with integrity? And, and then we need to ask God, His will, uh, concerning uh, our partic- participation in that, uh, in that project. It needs to be decided, he says. Uh, it's something that takes place in the mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word for reluctant here is literally the word with tears. So if the thought of uh, uh, giving here on Sunday morning causes you to break down and start to weep, uh, please don't give. Don't, don't. We don't, we don't want you to give. We, we want you to learn more of, of God's grace. That's all. Hey, just feel free to come and, and sit and, and listen to the word of God as it's taught and worship with us as, as, worship, as we're led into the presence of God through our worship. and Learn more about God. And, uh, and then Paul says, after a while, you'll begin to be cheerful in your giving because you'll come to see that all of your funds and finances and all of your possessions really belong to him anyway. And he's given them to us graciously, and, and we want to we give them freely back, back to him. Uh, the word for cheerful here is the word from which our word hilarious comes from. And I like that understanding, you know. I, and the plate comes by, I like to see people chuckle and, and, and giggle and hold their sides. And you know, if you fall out of your chair laughing, we know that you understand grace. <clears throat> and listen to this. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, Having all you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, uh, God will see to it that your needs are met, that my needs are met, that the needs of our church is met. We don't need to insist that everybody give here. They can give wherever God directs them to give because we know that God is going to supply our needs according to his riches and glory by, by Christ Jesus. And that's true of us as families and individuals. He's committed to meeting our needs, not necessarily our wants, but he is committed to meeting our Needs And here's the first result of giving. God will give you more to give. Now, some of you have probably heard people promise that if you send in a dollar to their organization, God would give you back two dollars. There's no promise anywhere in Scripture that he will do that. What, what God will do is increase your sowing. See how he puts it verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, that is, your, your giving. And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your gener- generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you understand what he's saying? That God doesn't give so we can acquire more, so we can retire in style. God gives us more so we can give it away. I was really struck by this phrase, he gives seed to the sower. Because uh, it's simply another way of saying what uh, the Old Testament says, that it's God who gives us the power to make wealth. Deuteronomy 8 says that, 8.18. God gives the power to make wealth. I am, uh, my uh, research is incomplete here, but it's my, my conviction that there's very little correlation between the ability of people, the business ability of men and women, and their actual ability to make wealth. Uh, 
the marketplace is too unstable, too many uncertain things. Most people luck into their money. They like to think they did it because they're very astute, but uh, if they're really honest with themselves, they came by it by a great deal of good fortune, and they forget that it's God who gave them the, the capacity to make wealth. And uh, Paul says, if that's true, if God has given you the ability to make money, then give it to those in need, and God will increase your capacity, your ability to give. The more you give, the more you'll get to give away. Now, this is quite different from what we're normally promised. You know, if you give, you'll God will put you in clover. You, you'll 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 be rich for the rest of your life. A friend of mine says that uh, now they're even turning out. Sunday school materials based on the uh, on C.S. Lewis's Narnian tales, except uh, the story is about uh, three children whom Aslan, uh, the lion, who is the symbol of Christ, uh, gives the ability to make a fortune in the stock market. And uh, the title of the first book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Neiman Marcus Wardrobe. Uh, <clears throat> no, that's, uh, that's not what he promises. He just, uh, he just tells us, that if we give, God will give us more to, to give away. You can't outgive God. The more you give, the more he'll give. So you can give, and so you can be generous on every occasion, as he says. That's, that's the first result. When you give, he'll give you more to give. The second is that your giving will result in people being drawn closer to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When I, uh, I, I had the privilege of taking that check, that uh, the money that you all gave to the family that I mentioned earlier, and it was a staggering amount of money. And I rang the doorbell, and uh, a member of the of the family came out. And I handed her the check. You know the, what were the first words out of her mouth? Praise the Lord. And they had this incredible financial uh, obligation. It's impossible for them to pay it off. And though they saw that the money came from, th- from you all, it came through the channel of, of your giving. It was God who prompted your hearts to give. See, and that's what happens when you, when you begin to give. It results in others being drawn to give thanksgiving, praise, and honor uh, to God. The third result is that you're going to make a whole lot of friends when you give. That's what Paul means in verse uh, 14 when he says, And in their prayers for you, that is, these people in uh, Jerusalem, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. These people over in Jerusalem will pray for you, he said. They're going to love you like crazy. They're going to be your friends for the rest of of your life. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, make friends with unrighteous mammon. Use your money to make friends. Well, not, you know, that's not the motivation, but that's the result. That when when we give to people, they, 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 they come to love us and appreciate us. And they will pray for you. And they, they'll be your friend forever. And some of you will have friends that you haven't even met when you get to heaven. Some, uh, some of you that have given to, uh, uh, say, to Young Life or some other parachurch, or, parachurch organization. Or you've given to this church and the, lives, the life of a young teenager has been reached. Someone who, who, who would probably never darken the door of a church. But 
the gospel got to that person. And, and there you are standing before the Lord in heaven, and, and that uh, young man or young woman walks up and says, I don't, you, probably, you don't know this, but years ago when you were uh, living in Boise, you gave a gift to this, uh, this group or this church, and it's through that means that uh, I met Christ. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. See, that's, that's what it means to use unrighteous mammon, the money that God has given to you to make eternal, everlasting uh, friends. I'm going to leave you with Paul's uh, bottom line here, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yeah, full circle. See, we start with the grace of God. We end with the gift of God, his gracious gift of himself. Cannot outgive God. He gave first, and he gave more than we could ever uh, describe, the inexplicable gift. Why would he give himself for us while we were yet sinners, as Paul put it? Why did he care about us when we didn't care about him? Why did he give up his life when we wouldn't give him the time of day? Why? Well, it's out of love and out of grace and out of his desire to give. See, that's what motivates us to give. Reminded me of a story in the Old Testament of David. And with this, I'm done. Uh, they were in the process of building the temple, and it was a, quite an expensive project. And uh, David was charged with the responsibility of gathering the materials, which he did. He couldn't; he was prohibited from building the structure. But he laid the plans, and he gathered the materials. And they still needed a great deal of cash in order to uh, finish the project. So David uh, gathered all the people, and he said, "Now we need." Uh, we need to raise some money here in order to build this structure. And I'm going to start out the giving with a gift of my own. And he takes his checkbook out of his pocket and he writes out a check for $54 million. $54 million. And he lays it on the table. David is a very wealthy man. I don't know what percentage of his wealth that represented. It may have represented all of it. I don't know. But he laid the check on the table. Now, my, the application is not that I'm going to start off the giving by uh, writing a check for $54 million this morning. <laughs> the application is this. That's what God has done. That's what God has done. See, David is a type, an example of, of our Lord Jesus. He gave in an indescribable way. And we give. Because he first loved us. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we echo uh, the Apostle's words. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Why you would love us, why you would go to the lengths you went to save us is simply beyond our, our explanation. And yet that's what you did. You have bestowed upon us the gift of eternal life. You've bestowed upon us the gift of forgiveness. You've given us the, the gift of, uh, of love for one another. You've given us the gift of power over sin and its, and its domination. And you did so not because we deserved it, but simply because that's your heart you want to give. And uh, when we see that, we want to respond by giving ourselves. 
First of all, giving ourselves to you, presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice to you. And then reminding ourselves that everything that we have, all of our possessions, all of our assets, all of our time, all of our energy, all that we are belongs to you. Let us know how we ought to give, to whom we ought to give, how much we ought to give. Since this is simply, these are simply your resources which you have entrusted to us. These things we ask in Jesus' name.